To start, I do want to mention a few things about the Prayer Builders Initiative. So for some of you, this will be a little bit reminder if you've been here one or both of the last couple of weeks. For others of you, if you're part of Celebrate, just want to make sure you're aware of what we're encouraging all of you to do, which is to help us build more prayer here at Celebrate. In the season of, of fall, we want to intentionally try to build the level of prayer here at Celebrate, and for you to consider being a prayer builder, which would mean that you would commit to praying on site a certain amount of time during this fall. We had it a certain amount per month, but then realized we're starting a little bit into the month and ending a little ahead of the month. And so what we're asking is that you would pray for five hours here on site over the course of 10 weeks. That's averaging like a half hour a week. And there's lots of ways that you'll be able to pray. So we do have a prayer room there, which you could sign up for. We will make clear how you could sign up so that you can know I have a space that I can pray and be uninterrupted in. Uh, but if, there's, if you show up and, and no one's there, you can use it. If you, if you show up um, and someone is in there, there, you can use other parts of the building. And our goal is to have more uh, access to the building, extended hours in which you could come pray here, or there's other rooms or upstairs, you could pray at any point. Some of you may prefer to prayer walk. You can walk in the building or around the building, and that's how you can pray. We have upper room on Wednesday nights, which is live worship, up those stairs, live worship, where you can pray and engage the Lord and worship in that way. On Sunday mornings, we gather up around 8.30 to go over the service to pray, and then the team is up here practicing. You could come in 8.45. You can be praying through here, 8.45 or 9 o'clock or 9. You can pray in here. You could say, hey, here's a time when I want to come and when some other people want to come. And we just say, yep, we'll, we'll get you a spot. You can pray. So there's multiple ways that you could pray on site. And we're going to explain those in a little more detail this Wednesday. Uh, but whether you know you want to do it or not, I just want to encourage you to come on Wednesday, hear more about it, and then consider whether you'd commit to being a prayer builder. The hope is that we could be praying and then there would be more of God's presence released in our gatherings and more of God's presence released in our goings as we go. We would carry more of his presence because we have sought him through worship and prayer. So please consider that. Now, we're in a series called What is God Doing? And over the last couple of Sundays, this is going to be the last in that series, over the last couple of Sundays... Um, what we've talked about is these stories in Exodus where it is really confusing what God wants or what God's asking, what God's expecting. So when the children of Israel, they've been slaves and they're being released and they're at the Red Sea and they're trapped, on one hand Moses says, be still, the Lord will fight for you. And then God says, what are you doing? Move on. And it's like, are we supposed to be still? Are we supposed to move? And our takeaway from that, that week was regardless, even when we don't know what to do, what God's inviting us to do is to trust him. Whether we wait in faith or whether we act in hope, we do it trusting him. We trust him. And in these processes where we don't even know what to do, we don't know what God wants us to do, often God can use that to build our faith, to increase our confidence in him. And then last week, it's the same group of people. Now they've been making their way through the wilderness and they get to the mountain and God's setting up. Uh, a test, and he's inviting them to come. And the, the debate among scholars is, is he, are the people of God supposed to come up on the mountain as God descends, get closer to God, so to speak, or are they not supposed to? And people take different arguments. My argument is they were supposed to come up and get closer to God. 
And regardless of which, which answer is right, as people who live on the other side of the cross in the New Testament, we know we are encouraged to draw close to God. Because Jesus has made a way we're supposed to get close to God. The question is, do we want to be close to God? And if so, what are we doing to be close to God? And how might structure help us get close to God? So that's, that's those couple weeks. This week, we are going to pick up where we left off in this story where God, the people have come to the mountain of Sinai, and they, they've come up there, and God has brought Moses to the top, and he says, I have rescued these people. This is what I want, Moses, this is what I want you to tell them. I have rescued you. I have carried you like on eagle's wings. Now, if, if you will listen, listen, if you will listen and fully obey, you will be for me a tr my treasured possession. You'll be a kingdom of Greece, a holy nation. You will be different than all the other peoples of the earth. You will show the rest of the world what I'm like. So that he says that. And just, I just want to highlight a few verses in setting up the passage we're going to talk about today. So Moses goes back and tells them that. And then in chapter 19, verse 8, the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to, the door, back to the Lord. They consecrated themselves. They set themselves apart. They prepared themselves to meet with God. And as we talked about last week, when the time came for them to get close to God, to move to God, instead they said, no, we're scared. Moses, you go. You go get close to God. We're going to stay at a distance. And we'll just listen to you, Moses. And Moses, no, no, don't be afraid. Come on, he just wants to keep you from sinning. Come on up, come get close to God. And they, but the, in the end, they say, no. Moses goes up, gets closer to God. They stay at a distance. Now, what happens there, from there, is God has said the Ten Commandments. He has, he has given the Ten Commandments, and then talking to Moses, he gives 42 more commands. And Moses goes back down to talk to the people, and he shares all of this information with the people of Israel. Verse 3 of chapter 24, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. They say it again. Everything he said we will do. We are in, all the way in, all of us, all in. So Moses takes these things and he writes it all down. And the next morning they have a little uh, ritual service and then he reads all the words again. And verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. That's Shema. That's the same word. Listen, obey. We will listen to what God says and we'll do it. Audio, disco. That's what we're going to do. And so it's set. The agreement is set. Moses and some of the leaders go halfway up. They eat with God. They see like this, these all kinds of cool colors and things. And it's just incredible. And then Moses walks up even closer to the top of the mountain and goes through fire. The people see him go through fire. And he hears from God. And God's talking about, here's the building I want you to build for worship prayer. Here's the furniture. Here's the clothes for the priests. Here's what it's going to look like for us to be together. And he's telling Moses that. And Moses is gone for 40 days. And here's what happens next. Chapter 32. When the people, who are still back down at the bottom of the mountain, when they saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods 
who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Now, when they, when they say this, let me, let me back up. When God says, okay, do you want an agreement with me? Yet yeah, we're going to do everything you say. The first thing God says to them is, I am the one who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. They have said, Moses, you, it's good enough for you to know God, you be close to God, you talk to God, and then we'll listen to you. But the problem with that is when Moses is gone and out of the picture, when he's not around, then they don't, they aren't, they aren't, they're not listening anymore. So they say, Moses, this guy Moses who brought us out of Egypt, God's first words were, I brought you out of Egypt. I, God, brought you out of Egypt. And they say, Moses, the guy that brought us out of Egypt, because Moses has become the real God. Moses is close to God. Moses is saying the right things to God. But because they don't draw close to God themselves, when Moses isn't there, then they're missing it. And so then they say, what's, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before us. And they say to Aaron, make us other gods. Because they never drew close to God for themselves. It was enough for them to be around people, to know people, to be kind of connected to, to someone who was close to God. Verses 2 through 6. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said... That's Aaron and his cast. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an, an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up in, to indulge in, in revelry. So the second commandment God gave that was really clear is don't make idols. Don't make images out of metal. Don't make them out of, out of like animals of the earth. And he, in the 42 commands, he kind of weaves it in. And at the very end of the 42 commands, the last thing he says is, you're going to go into this land. I'm going to bring you into this promised land. Don't make gods and worship like they do. So he says it at the very beginning. He says it at the very end. And the people say, yes, we will do everything you said. And the very most important instructions God gives them they violate it right away. Now, the whole thing at Mount Sinai is set up like a near-ancient wedding agreement, like marriage agreement. So, like, here's the proposal, yes. Here's the terms of the covenant for the marriage, yes, we agree to that. We are married. And it's like God and Moses are working on the, the plans for the house. They're working on the tabernacle. And so in, it's as if on the honeymoon, they went and found another woman. Like they left God or man or whichever, you know, whichever. They, they did it. This was the agreement. Yes, we'll do everything. And they're, they're out. Just as an aside, in the beginning, God said as he created human beings, he created them uh, male and female in his image, image bearers. We bear the image of God. And so he says, 
don't make any other images that you would worship. You are to be image bearers of God. Now you go and rule over the earth, including the animals. You're in charge of the animals. And the people here take an animal they're supposed to rule over, they make it into the image, and they say, it's the God. Supposed to be, God is God, we are his image bearers, and we rule the animals. They take an animal, they make an image out of it, that's our God. Now that's like, so dumb. I have never, ever, ever been tempted to make an idol, to bow down to a statue, it has never happened. But do I wear an Iowa Hawkeye shirt? No, I don't. But that's, that's the name of the But some of you do. Like, this is me deflecting, keeping myself safe. But, I mean, I've been to an Iowa Hawkeye game. And I wonder how similar it is to pagan worship services. We're going to drink it up with revelry. There's going to be all kinds of sleeping around. We're going to chant. We're going to wave our flags. And we're all going to do it for this bird. John Calvin says, the human heart is like an idol factory. It just never ends that we can make idols out of good things that God gave us as gifts, but we can flip the order. And instead of worshiping the creator, we give ourselves over to created things. And that's what drives how we give, how we spend our time, what we do. Instead of first and foremost, the creator, and then we enjoy the gifts that he gives us. So, all of this sets up the main thing that I want to talk about today, which is what is God doing in his interaction with Moses because now we were going to get Moses, who's on the mountain, his response when he finds out what's happened. And God's response when he points out what's happened. So verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, saying the same things that the people said, it was Moses who brought them up, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now, leave, this is an important verse that I'm going to keep coming back to. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation, Moses. So his thing is, leave me alone, Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to make you, and you into a nation instead. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people." Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So Moses' response is like, wait a minute. What about what, about what you said? Let's, let's go back to that. And so after Moses says this, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. 
Now, I'm wondering Moses, about Moses' motivation here. It's possible that when God gives this offer, it's not that attractive an offer. Like, it's possible that it's like, hey, I'm going to destroy this people, and then I'll make you into a great nation. And Moses is thinking, so I can either be a, the head of hundreds of thousands of people, or we can go down to 10, to my family. It's a little less impressive on the resume. But I don't think that was Moses' calculation. In fact, I think this was probably pretty tempting to Moses. Like, these people have caused him a lot of stress and issues and problems. And wouldn't it be great if he could have a fresh start? Wouldn't it be great if there's people more like him? Not the people who've been in slavery for their whole life, which he's never been involved in. He's never been a slave. People who are more like him. People who think like him. People who would do, like, do what he says, like his own family. What if we could just get rid of that stress and just start fresh and start over and not have to deal with the people? That sounds like it would have been tempting to Moses based on what's happened in the passage. And yet he says, no, God, remember, you have been telling me over and over again, I'm gonna, I'm, I want the world to know what I'm like through this people. I want these people to know what I'm like. And what are they going to think if you wipe them out? So it seems a little strange, though, because it kind of feels like God is like ready to just fly off the handle. Like, he's just losing it. He's just kind of, you know, ah, these people, I can't take it anymore. And then there's Moses, who's kind of, you know, kind of settle down, God, settle down, you know. And I, I mean, you, you kind of overreact to things, and I've got to be the one that kind of settles you down. And that just seems like, really? Is that really what happened? Well, A, just to, just to be clear, we do want God to be just, we do want him to be just. We want him to deal with, with, with people, and, and we don't want evil just to run rampant. But B, here's what happens next. Moses actually goes down to see what happens. When he sees what happens, it says he, Moses, burned with anger. It's like God has seen this. Moses hasn't. And he takes the covenant that's in the stones, and he throws them down, and they break. And he takes the bull, and he, he says, you know, to Aaron, what have these people done to you that you've done this? This is like the worst thing you could have done. And he burns up the bowl, grinds it into dust, puts it in the water, makes the people drink it. And then he says, whoever's for me and the Lord, come to me. And people rally to him. And he says, now go kill your brothers. Because he says, this, this, people are out of control. We've become a laughing stock to all the nations around us. They're, humanly speaking, I don't know what else to do. It has fallen apart. We're completely unraveling. And so he says, kill your brothers, and a bunch of them get killed. They kill 3,000 people. Moses wasn't exactly the like, oh, see, now God, he gets really hyper. But me, I'm more level-headed. It's like when he saw it, he realized, we made an agreement with God. We'll do everything. And we took the most important thing and before the ink is dry in the covenant of the, I don't know, I guess ink doesn't dry on carved in stone, whatever. Before the, it's even done, we violated it. We've broken it. It's over. And we, we said in this covenant, so you have a right to do what you want to us to let us go if we break it. He sees how serious it is. So verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So he sees this is serious. 31, so Moses 
went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. He like offers himself. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. So he says, okay, no, I'm not blotting you out, Moses. But since you've said this to me, I'm not wiping them out either. So just go ahead, lead, start moving forward. Verse, chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So that promise I made, I'm going to keep. Go ahead, lead them out. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. Okay, you can go. That's what I promised but I'm not going with you. Chapter 33, verse 12. Moses' response now. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So he had just said it won't go. Now he says, okay, I will go. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? I want you to point out the pronouns here. That unless you go with us. Moses is identifying with the people. He hasn't done this before. You are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you, Moses, have asked because I am pleased with you, Moses, and I know you by name. So it's getting, like, inching forward from, like, I'm wiping him out right this moment to not yet, to I'm not going to, to I'll keep my promise, but I won't go with you, to now I'm going with you. And Moses says... Then show, now show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. And we actually, in 2019, I think we did six, seven, eight weeks just on the three, next three verses I'm going to read. This is, Mo, this is God showing Moses his glory. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parent to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. After he hears God say this, he bowed down at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people 
you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So there's two main points I want to point, I want to, there are two things I want to point out about this today. And one is, look at the difference one person makes in their prayers to God. The natural consequences, the right consequences for what had happened in violating the covenant and in moving forward and being like all the other nations and getting out of control was that they would be destroyed. At the very least, they would, the covenant's over. God's not going to have them be their people again. And Moses' prayers take it from they could be immediately destroyed, they could be left to their own devices and destroy themselves, to know they're not going to be destroyed, to know the promises isn't over, to actually, by the end of this, the whole covenant is restored. And all the people who said, we will do everything you said, and then all the people who went away, they benefit. They benefit because one person said, I'm going to keep going, you to Lord. I'm going to remind you of your promises. I'm going to ask you to forgive, even if it, you have to take it out on me. I'm, please go with us. Please, please. He pleads and he prays. And one person, it all shifts. A few weeks ago, I can't remember the time. I'm not sure on time frame. But a little, this summer, praying with, with a person who, is, who wants to pray with me, and wants to pray for a person I have never met and I don't know, but a person who does not know Jesus. And so we pray together, and this person is weeping over another person who does not know Jesus. And we're praying together. Within a couple weeks or so, I, through circumstances that I did not orchestrate or expect, am talking to this person we're out there, I'm talking to this person, and I'm talking to this person about Jesus. And this person is receptive to Jesus. And the other person who I originally prayed with and I are just like, only God could have arranged that. God was in this. God is doing something. It started with a prayer, a heartfelt prayer of, please, God, move in this person's life. And then within weeks, it just, it happens. It's starting to happen. What happens when people pray for other people? If one person can, be, can change a whole destiny of a nation, our prayers for other people do matter. What happens when we take it seriously? What happens when we learn to pray in the way that Moses prayed? So there's a way in which one of the points I want to push today, want to encourage today is pray because our prayers for other people matter. They make a difference. God moves. You know, the whole way God has set up the world when he created it, he says, I have given you dominion in the earth. I've given you the ability, like human beings, what you do, it's going to matter for all of creation. I'm going to work through you. I have made you with such dignity, with such responsibility, with such what you do matters. I've made you in such that way that that's how I'm going to operate. And that is so true that the only way that the human race can be saved when we've all gone our separate way is for God himself to come as a human being because he works on the earth through human beings. He works and moves in the earth through the prayers of his people. And how much do we pray? 
Like, if we really believed that people's lives would be changed, that eternal destinies would be changed based on how we pray and how much we act like him, is that could motivate us towards something. And I think that's real. The Lord moves based on our prayers and our actions and our words for other people. People who weren't even looking for it. So that's point one. But point two is, as much as it's clear that God was, you know, or Moses was reaching out to God for forgiveness and restoration of the people, I think what we can find here is that God was actually using this conversations for the transformation of Moses. So, on this mountain, where this all happens, is it's the same mountain as when God appeared to Moses for the first time in a burning bush and said, I want you to be the one that goes and leads my people out of slavery and leads them to become my people. I want you, Moses, to do that on that mountain. And Moses' response is to object five times. God says, I want you, Moses, you to be the one who goes and does this. And he objects five times. Because I want you to do it. And Moses' first response is, who am I? Who am I? Not Who am I? And God's response is, so that's the first objection. God's response is, I will be with you. You're asking the wrong question. I will be with you. That's what's important. So Moses brings up another objection. Who are you? Like, what if people ask, who, who's sending you? Who is this guy? What am I supposed to tell him? And he's, I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God that's made these promises. You just tell them those things. So then Moses objects a third time. He says, what if they don't believe me? Why would they believe me? Shepherd boy, coming into this place. He says, take your staff, throw it down. It turns into a snake or a crocodile. Translation's a little bit. It turns into something a little scary. And then he picks it up and it's back. Put your hand in, leprosy, put it back in, no leprosy. It's like, things like this, I will do signs and wonders through you, Moses, so they'll believe you. He says, ah, objection number four. You know, I'm not very good at talking. I'm not actually very good at talking. I'm really bad at talking. You know, I just, I don't think you're going to, I'm not, bleh. See, see? And God's starting to get a little, he says, who made the human being's mouth? All decide who's good enough to talk on my behalf, and I'm sending you. But let's, look, Aaron is coming. Your brother, he's really good at talking, so you can talk to Aaron. You guys can be a team. All right, now go. Fifth objection. He's run out of ideas. Please, God, send somebody else. That's how he ends. Please, God, send somebody else. Just, just don't send me, please. He objects five times. And he doesn't really identify with God's people. So when he actually does go, at first the people believe him, but then things get worse for the people. They don't believe him anymore. Pharaoh's made things harder. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. This isn't the only time. From here on out, when, when, God, when Moses is talking about the people of Israel, he doesn't say us. He says this people, the people, that people. 
your people. Not my people, this people, that people, your people, my people. That is Moses' heart at the beginning. But all along, he has been drawing close to God, and he has been praying, talking, and listening to God about this people. So now we get to back to the mountain. They've done a great sin, and Moses starts to intercede for the people, to pray for the people. And so the first thing is God says, out of my way, leave me alone, I'm going to destroy them, and now you, you, the people, you can identify with your people because I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Moses intercedes the first time. And he says, I know you and your reputation. What you do is going to affect your reputation. You said it's through this people that I'm going to show the world what I'm like. What will they think if you wipe them out? And you made a promise. They'll think you're a promise keeper. And he pleads, he intercedes. And God says, all right, I'm not going right down to That's intercession number one. When Moses goes back up, he says, hey, I know you're right. We did violate it. But if you aren't going to forgive him, would you just wipe me out instead? Because he knows there's been this idea of a substitute, of a sacrifice in place of. And so intercession number two, me instead, and God says, all right, I'll, I'll mete out punishment, but they're still, they're going to be a people. I'm not going to wipe them all out for sure. And then he says he's going to go, or he's going to make his promise and let them go, but he's not going to go with them. And so Moses a third time, no, show me your ways. If I found favor, don't send us without your presence. That's the only way we know to sing. So a third time, now he's interceding, like, no. And then he starts using us. All of a sudden he's saying, I'm with the people. And God's saying, I found favor with you, Moses, individually, and, and Moses is praying for us. And then the fourth intercession gets really weird. Because Moses, God says, okay, I'll, my presence will go with you. And then Moses says, well, show me your glory. Show me your glory. My, Moses has seen signs and wonders unprecedented. Like all kinds of things. And then he goes and encounters like a mountain that starts shaking. And there's thunder. And there's lightning. And there's fire. And there's a voice from God, and there's a trumpet blast, and he gets to go up, and then he gets to see these, like, they don't even have words for him in the English language because they're eating with God. And then he gets to go up even more into the cloud of glory, passing through a passage of fire. And he says, now show me your glory. Like, seems like you've seen a lot of glory, Moses. But he recognizes there is something more. I want to really know you. God says to Moses, I know you by name. I know you intimately. I know you personally. And it's like Moses says, I want to know you by name. I want to know you intimately. I want to know you personally. And God says, okay, if you want the real level of my glory, it's not in big, loud voices. It's not in flashes of lightning. It's not in fire. I'm going to show you all my goodness. Here's my name, Yahweh. Here's my name, the Lord. And it starts compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and justice, forgiving thousands, showing love to thousands, 
Not leaving the guilty unpunished, not letting things just go. There is a punishment, but here's how the scales are weighted. I will punish to the third and fourth degree. But when people turn to me, I will show love to the thousandth degree. My heart is scaled way more towards compassion and mercy and forgiveness for people who want to be with me, for people who turn to me. And when Moses hears that, he goes to his fifth intercession on that mountain, which is like, God, restore us. He gets down and worships him and says, restore us. And at that point, the covenant comes full circle. And I think it's like God used the conversation. God didn't answer quickly because in that process, Moses got God's heart to forgive, to be with the people, not to focus on so much what would it mean for him, would it be good for him or bad for him, what would it be for the people, what would it be for the glory of God's name. When Camille and I, when we moved here 12 years ago, we, um, it wasn't a smooth transition. So for one thing, I, I had once... Well, i got to speed up the story a little bit. For one thing, the, I got ordained after I started here. And four days later, I had back surgery. And then that back surgery, it did not, I didn't get better. Couldn't, in pain, uncomfortable, couldn't do a lot of walking, hurt to sit too much, couldn't put on my own socks and shoes. For months, we looked for a house. Now, when we... We were able to build a very nice house because we were given a forward inheritance with the purpose of that money being that we would build a, a nice house. But it was a buyer's market then. And so when we sold our house, it was worth, what we got for it was 20% less than what it cost us to build it. So we lost a lot of money. Now, the hope would be it's a, it's a buyer's market. So when we come over here, we could you know offset that. And like multiple ways, almost immediately, it's like that's going to happen. Like there's a sheriff's sale on this house and somebody tipped us off and like, oh, this would be, this would be perfect and this would be so, and then it fell through. And that's what it kept happening. We have six kids at the time, or no, we, we have six, no, we have four kids, six of us, woo! Five is good, five is plenty, five is plenty. So we, we, we're looking for more than three bedrooms. We can't go on weekends. Our family often comes to stay with us. So, but we just kept finding house after house with three bedrooms. If we did find houses with more bedrooms, it was at a buyer's price. And it's like, eh. So that wasn't going through. We had connected with some different families, like anywhere from one of our sons having one good buddy his first year to our very first weekend, like that couple is great. And then one week later, find out they're moving out of state. They're moving out of town. It seemed like everyone we were connecting with was moving out of here in our first year. And so after a year of this, it was a full year, it's kind of like, maybe, maybe this is just a stopping point. Because as much as I was wanting, like, God, we'll go wherever you want, just make it clear, there was no signs in the heaven, there was no audible voice, there was no clear, it was just like, here are two really good choices, and we just picked one. We pick celebrate. But maybe that's just the fact that we haven't been able to buy a house and we're renting this little house. Maybe it's because we're only here for a little bit. So we did 40 days of consecration. 
We called up some of our closest friends and we said, you know, we're going to do certain things to focus. We're asking you to join us in praying. We want some clarity. Are, like, are we supposed to be here or are we supposed to be looking for somewhere else to be? And we, I, we put out five things. And like, God, would you show us in this 40 days, would you just move the needle on one of these five things? And like, I remember clear, I don't remember them all. I remember clearly, like, one of them was, I would put my own socks and shoes on. I'd be able to do that. This has been a year. I want to at least be able to do that, and I have my kids do it. Just, there'd be, you know, could we meet some family friends that move in instead of moving out? Can we meet some of those people? Could we find a house? Like, all the things were like, it's either it happened or it didn't happen. And so we pray, and for 40 days, we put this up for them, and at the end of 40 days, out of, out of all five of those things, you know how many happened? Zero. Zero. There's no sign that any of them are happening. And so, several weeks after that, there's some land that our realtor shows us. It's good. We buy it. But now we have to decide, will we build because what's clear is if we build and then we move in the next two or three years based on what building costs, based on where the housing market is at, that was a stupid decision. That would be a stupid decision. If we think we might move, we should not build. So what are we going to do? And we decided to build. And I remember as we talked, we, we were like, it's like we're putting a stake in the ground by building. By saying, even if other people are getting pulled out of Knoxville, and, and for good reasons, you know, some of, but it just seemed like good people are getting pulled out of Knoxville, even if that we are staying in Knoxville, like a stake in the ground, like we are staying no matter what's happening, we are going to stay here. And so we did. Nothing magical happened in the next week or two, but there was a certain point several months later we realized all five of those things had happened. I, I don't remember them now with precision. I can name precisely a few of the things. They happened. Now, is that something special about us? No. Well, yes, in the same way there's something special about you. Like your decisions can impact the places you live, the organizations you're part of, the families you're in. And by identifying fully with them, there's something good about it. But I think primarily what all that was about was about changing our hearts. About us becoming fully in. And I really struggled with this story has been coming to mind ever since I've been studying these passages. But I just wasn't so sure about sharing it. I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. Um, and then last Sunday, I'm talking to somebody afterwards. And they said that the Sunday before, two Sundays ago, when I first brought up prayer builders, he said, it's like I saw, it's like you put a stake in the ground, they said. It's like, like when you said we're going to do prayer builders, it's like you put a stake in the ground. And I was thinking about that with building, and like when we built our house, they were saying, we, put, we literally put stakes in the ground, and that's what I could see around. Like that's what prayer builders would be doing. It's like we're putting a stake in the ground. And I thought, I will share this then. And so that is the opportunity we have. You, would you consider identifying with 
celebrate people, to put a stake in the ground. And what that could do is by coming, we come just to get close to God, even though we don't even know what we're doing when we pray. But we come close to God. But when we pray for other people, when we use part of our time just to pray for other people or the people that are closest to us or the situations we're part of, when we do that, it will make a difference in other people's lives and we will be changed. We can become more like God. And that's the opportunity we have. And why I'd like you to consider, if at all possible, come to Prayer Builders this week and consider whether you want to join. If not at all possible, but you do want to join, let us know, and after Wednesday, we will get you more details. I'll have the worship team come up and we'll pray.